I love to hear the testimonies of individuals and their experience with Christ. Such an encouragement, such a blessing. Wonderful indeed. If you take your Bibles and open them to Malachi chapter 2 in preparation, as you can see, today is a great day for many reasons. We come to the table, even if that was all that we were to do. Some of you might say, that's great. You don't have to listen to Pastor John for two hours. <laughs> but even if it was just to celebrate and remember our Lord's sacrifice at the table here today, that would be enough. Be that as it may. Before we get there, we come to a perfect and providential passage for us when it comes to examining our lives in light of this great, wonderful sacrifice of Christ on behalf of his people. As for the examination of our lives, is this not but an essential element that at times is often even overlooked when it comes to communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 reads, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul will also go on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, that we are called to examine ourselves, to see that we are in the faith. So, whether it's communion or the Christian life in general, a taking of a spiritual inventory is completely acceptable, and I might add, extremely important when it comes to our lives in Christ. Some of you men are aware, as we read together on Wednesday mornings, from Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, that he speaks within that book about a healthy examination of one's life compared to an unhealthy examination. The former leads to a repentance without regret. The latter, guilt and despair. As we examine our lives, as we will see, as royal priests for Christ here today, don't allow it to be an unhealthy examination. That is not my goal or objective here today. But it is to be a healthy examination as we approach the Lord's table. In order that we might strive in holiness to please and to glorify our God. All that to say, the message for today, the goal for today, is for us to examine our lives in light of our role as royal priests for Christ in comparison to the roles of the priests of Malachi's day. That would be the goal. That would be our hope that we approach it in a spirit of repentance and prayer not with condemnation and doubt and guilt as we seek to glorify Christ. 
As for the priest of Malachi's day, we'll see within this passage in Malachi chapter 2, the Yahweh communicates extreme consequences for disobedience. On a positive note, we'll also see that there are positive examples of what it means for a priest to abide in obedience, in obedience to the covenant that he's been given. As for our exposition this morning, we'll unpack several answers to the question, what is the fruit of biblical worship? That's our goal, that's our question as we approach the table today. Last week, the overarching principle of the foundation of worship and a focus for worship and an attitude of worship were clearly on display, setting the tone for what a priest, big picture-wise, should be doing. This week, we'll see more specific examples of what that looks like when it comes to the fruit of biblical worship. By the same token, as we approach the Lord's table here today, would we be purpose, would we purpose in our hearts to examine them in light of the context of Malachi as us being royal priests for Christ, repenting, praying in a way that might better equip us in these roles that we have been given, which we will see. Would you stand with me, please, as we read our passage for this morning? Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And now, this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen... And if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So also, I have made you despised and abased before all the people. Just as you are not keeping my ways, 
but are showing partiality in the instruction. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for his word. Our first answer to the question, what is the fruit of biblical worship, is a respecter of God. Growing up with primarily only my mother, she had a difficult task indeed. I was not the most obedient child. She often referred to me as one that would smile while doing the direct opposite of what she had commanded. Not proud of that. But there's grace, huh? One thing's for sure, though. Over time and experience, I learned how to honor and to respect her. There was certainly a sense of honor that I knew she deserved. Last week, in the foundation of worship, we looked at the honor, the glory, and the weightiness that only belongs to our God. An honor reserved for no one else but the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this type of honor and respect that undergirds all of worship. In verses 1 and 2, we see again Yahweh's emphasis upon the charge. Look with me. He says to listen and to take the heart, the command to give honor to his name. A respecter of God will indeed be a priest who honors the name of the Lord like no other. He will be a servant who obeys the commands of his Lord, all the while manifesting a lifestyle of character along with that obedience. This is exactly what we see in the Hebrew use of this word love. That's compared to an English understanding that would be simply rooted within heart emotion. God is calling us as respecters of Him to be obedient priests, not just in our mouths and in our minds, but in our lives as well. Now, to avoid the risk of confusing you and to keep the honor idea together, look down with me at verses 4 and 5 and you will see it on display again. Levi was a respecter of God and that God kept his covenant with him due to his reverence and awe of his God. In addition to this critical element of honoring and respecting the Lord, there's another element that we can derive from this passage as well. Coming back to my mother again, I mentioned that I understood over time and experience that she deserved to be honored and respected. Well, 
Let me also say that I also, over time and experience, learned to have a healthy fear of consequences. If I were stepping out of line in direct obedience, let me tell you, swift and fearful consequences were coming. That was a good thing. I can also say, though, in hindsight, that I was able to see the motive behind those consequences, a motive of love. When we began this series, in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we saw the motive of God's sovereign love for his people. I mentioned to you that each and every one of us, as we work our way through this book, and we feel the weight of many of these rebukes, even within our own lives, never forget the sovereign love of God behind it all. He disciplines those whom he loves. And if you are in Christ, his love will never forsake you, never leave you. Don't ever lose sight of that reality and truth as we look at the severity of consequences when it comes to disobedient worship. For the priest of Malachi, we'll see this in verses 2 and 3, along with verse 9. In verse 2, you will see it's a lack of honor for his name that brings three separate uses of the word curse or cursing. Even within our 21st century context, that word is difficult to think upon. Extremely negative as we think of it. On top of that, this verb to send the cursing, cursing is an intensive verb in the Hebrew. It could be translated as if to let loose cursing. It's as if God is saying, I am letting loose severe affliction and divine punishment upon you, your blessings, and oh, by the way, I have already done it. Difficult indeed to wrestle with. If that were not enough, look at verse 3 when he says, He will rebuke their offspring and spread refuse on their faces and on their feasts. Two key points for us to examine as we grasp the severity of consequences, not under condemnation, let me remind you, but that we would have a healthy fear and respect of God and the consequences for disobedience. This rebuking, we can see from Numbers chapter 3 as we examine the priestly privilege of a Levite would have been much more than a loss of family honor, but a loss of their privileged distinction as priests. 
Beyond that, this refuse is not a pretty picture at all. It is basically the intestines of a butchered animal. And God uses another intensive Hebrew verb to say that he would spread on their faces the intestines of a butchered animal because of their contemptible, disobedient worship. And yet, there's still more. After he mentions the corruption of the covenant with Levi in verse 8, look at verse 9. He says he has made the Jewish priests despised and abased before all people. We looked at this word despised last week as a looking down with contempt. This word abased refers to being humiliated. None of us, I know us dear precious souls within this congregation throughout the body of Christ would ever desire for our Lord to look on upon our worship as being humiliating, looking down with contempt. Let that never be the purpose of our hearts. So, when it comes to proper biblical interpretation, one thing is certain, though. We cannot, nor we must not, make a direct interpretive correlation from the context of Malachi to us here today. However, there are still clear principles for us when it comes to understanding God's level of concern for disobedient worship. Clear principles that still apply to us here today. Principles that as royal priests of Christ, we desire to live by. Not just in our words, but in our actions. Similar to the Hebrew meaning of the word love. Even though we live in a different time frame, in the priests of Malachi. These principles, all the while still applying to us, never forget that this side of the cross, God is dealing with us through his son. We are no longer under the condemnation of the law. We are no longer under the cursing of God, yet he disciplines those whom he loves. As respecters of God, we're called to esteem his name with honor and glory in all that we do. As royal priests, we live according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. That whatever we do, whether we eat, whether we drink, 
We do it all for the glory of God. To hold his name high above everything. As respecters of God, might we have a healthy fear of God's discipline? A healthy fear and respect of God? Galatians chapter 6 will remind us that whatever we sow, we shall also reap. Furthermore, once again, see it even represented in the table here today. Let us never forget what's behind it all. It was love behind the motive of consequences in your life that brought our Lord to save you. It will be a motive of love that will encourage us as royal priests to practice being a respecter of God. In the remaining verses, we will look at the positive examples of Levi and the fruit of worship that a priest should practice. The second answer to our question is a teacher of men. Look with me at the beginning of verse 6. The scriptures read, True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. Two phrases within this passage that I want us to break down to explain in order that we might grasp and embrace with stronger devotion how we might apply this answer to biblical worship, that we would be driven to be teachers of men. First, true instruction was in his mouth. As for the priests of Malachi's day, truth began with a foundation as we've continued to articulate concerning the foundation of honor and respect of our Lord. Or as we also looked at last week, the focus upon him rather than themselves. Not to mention, don't miss the reality that the verse says true instruction was in his mouth. It's clearly prevalent from the verse that as we strive to be teachers of men, as royal priests of Christ, there is verbal communication that transpires and will transpire. So, what are we to make of this when it comes to our of worship, our individual lives. There's no debating the fact that the Holy Spirit does disperse a specific gift of teaching to some men. However, we all understand in some respects, to some extent, each and every one of us have been called to be a teacher of men. 
as royal priests. We adhere and hold fast to passages such as 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. That we're called to rightly handle the word of truth. Or, of course, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission that applies to us all. We have been called as teachers of men, royal priests, to make disciples. What about the second phrase? Unrighteousness was not found on his lips. I love the old saying. Walk the talk. Don't just talk the talk. It's one thing to speak true instruction. It's another to live it. As for Levi, we see from this passage, there was no injustice or wickedness within his life or on his lips or mouth. This is communicating much more than some type of just simple intellectual instruction from God, but an integrity of character. Jesus spoke to this same type of character in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 35. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Even when we examine the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1, and we look to the qualifications of elder leadership within a church, teaching is not the only requirement. Teaching is indeed one of the requirements of being an elder. However, we see Numerous examples of integrity of character on display. All that to say, as a challenge for us all, are we praying and seeking opportunities that the Lord might use in our lives to be teachers of men? To speak forth true instruction, to live with a lifestyle of integrity, not just in our mouths, but in our whole being. As we consider that challenge, allow the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, to fuel us. He says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. 
My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are in Christ, because of the blood that was shed, you are good. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Christ has done. And God is calling you to admonish your brothers and sisters to be a teacher of men. As we seek to honor and respect this God in whom we serve as royal priests of this kingdom. Now, third answer to the question, what is the fruit of biblical worship is an ambassador of God. As an ambassador for Yahweh, what was Levi's fruit of worship in the back half of verse 6? Look with me. The section reads, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. And he turned many back from iniquity. Now, when thinking of an ambassador from a natural perspective, many requirements of a lifestyle of integrity would, of course, be on display, along with requirements of how that man or woman would fulfill their duties as an ambassador. Requirements pertaining to a personal life along with the role of an ambassador, which is to represent the higher authority from a natural perspective. From a spiritual perspective, this is exactly what we see being communicated concerning Levi. For Levi, there was a lifestyle of harmony with God and a lifestyle of practicing consistent righteousness. A desire to be holy. As for us, ambassadors of God, which you have been called to be, we must be found obedient, pursuing holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. I often quote this verse, but it's near and dear to my heart. I pray it would be to you that we are called to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness that without which no one will see the Lord. As we come to the communion table, here in a moment, what sin do we need to repent of? This is so critical for us. Inevitably, it affects our witness for Christ. It affects our abilities, our desires, our confidence to be bold as ambassadors for Christ. What's more, it actually empowers us as ambassadors for Christ. As we look to Christ and his sinless, perfect life, 
as we strive with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to reflect the holiness that he requires of us, but is ultimately, and here's the encouragement, only found in Christ. Now, what is that role specifically as an ambassador of God? The end of verse 6 states it so clearly. He turned many back from iniquity. We don't have to look too far within the pages of New Testament Scripture in order for us to look upon great truths that apply for us today in the church age as we consider the role of the priests during Malachi's time to turn men back from iniquity. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 read, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Hallelujah. Praise be to the Lord. This is a role for us, not under condemnation. Being mindful of the love that empowers us to do so. That we would be an ambassador of Christ. Calling men to turn from iniquity. To trust in Christ. Or could it be the great ambassador passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do we desire with all our hearts to beg, according to the word of God, that men might turn from their sin and their iniquity. That we might be found obedient as we examine ourselves. Once again, the goal for today as ambassadors for Christ. And all that to say, we were dead in our sin. Enemies of Christ. Under the guilt caused by that sin. And yet, two precious words, but... God sent an ambassador in order that he might use that ambassador as a means to call you unto himself to reconcile your soul, to tear down the barrier of sin between you and God. And now we come as ambassadors by the grace of God and we have been given this ministry of reconciliation as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 will communicate 
We have been called as representatives of the king to go by the grace of God and call men unto repentance that they might turn from iniquity. Whereas 2 Timothy chapter 2, 25 reads that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to life. Colby, I might just pound this pulpit here this morning. If he's here, I don't think he's here. I don't see him. In a good way. In a good way. Our fourth answer to the question is a learner of God. A learner of God. Now we defined in the beginning of this series this idea that worship encompasses all areas of our lives. Whether we are a farmer, whether we are a police officer, whether we are a school teacher, whether you are a mother, a father, a grandparent, whatever role that God has given us in life here today, that is an act of worship and we all fully understand the responsibility of learning to be a better mother, to be a better farmer, to be a better school teacher. It's worship unto our king. And we desire to learn in that endeavor. With that being said, when taking that inventory that we mentioned within the introduction, what percentage of our lives is committed to being a learner of God? Last week we asked the question concerning our 21st century governors. Do we offer them more honor and respect than this great God who shed his blood for our sins? Who conquered death and sin in order that we might have life and yet? And I know the weight of this myself included, at times, our learning of God in our worship far exceeds our 21st century governors rather than God himself. For the priest of Malachi's day, this type of worship was a despising of God. Let that never be the practice of our life as we seek by the grace of God, not under condemnation, but by the grace of God to be better equipped as learners of God. Look again at the beginning of verse 7. We read, for the lips of a priest 
should preserve knowledge. And these two words, preserve knowledge. Powerful, powerful when we examine what is behind them. In essence, they refer to a guarding or a keeping watch over an intimate understanding. Preserving knowledge. And you want to know how intimate this understanding is? This is the same Hebrew word that is often used when it comes to the intimate physical relationship between a husband and a wife within the covenant of marriage. Now that's intimate, precious, and sweet. Do we desire to preserve knowledge in that capacity? Furthermore, it also communicates a knowledge that is not only a mind knowledge, but once again, a heart knowledge, a knowledge that we desire to preserve and in turn apply and practice in our lives. This goes back to our walk the talk comment. Last week we mentioned that horrible word, hypocrite. None of us want to be that. By God's grace, we have been forgiven. But once again, let it never be an excuse for us to walk the talk. Perhaps your mind is already thinking of some applicable church passages when it comes to being this learner of God. And let me share a couple. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. As we hear this, let it be an encouragement to you to apply to your lives and ask the Holy Spirit as the word is being preached to you to say, God, how might you use this word in my life? How might you take this word, the power of God, and transform me? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 1 Peter chapter 3, 15. Certainly, there's a wonderful passage when it comes to our role as ambassadors for God. But it perfectly fits when it comes to being a learner of God. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And then, of course, Psalm 119. Although not written within the church age, the principle still wonderfully applies to each and every one of us, how we might consider being a learner of God, that psalm states, Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Do we treasure and cherish this precious, authoritative, inerrant, inspired word? In a way that drives us and empowers us, 
to be a learner of God. My friends, allow me for a moment to even open the door of my heart when it comes to this precious congregation and my desire as a minister of the gospel and this subject of becoming a learner of God. I often read on Sunday mornings from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 to prepare my heart for what is the priority for us as a body when it comes to being a learner of God. Paul states the following. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The goal, my friends, as a minister of the gospel, should never be to shine the light on an overabundance of personal stories. The goal as a learner of God is to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. If we are to be royal priests for Christ, the light is not me. I am simply a waiter. I am not the chef. When it comes to this biblical approach for producing learners of God, Charles Spurgeon had this to say. I would rather speak five words out of this book than 50,000 words of the philosophers. If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's word into our sermons. This remains the crying need of the hour. How sweet and appropriate is that quote from a man who is long gone, still true here today. This is our sword. This is our power. This is my heart for you. And I believe with every inkling of my heart, it's God's heart for you when it comes to being a learner of God. Let's briefly turn our attention to the final answer. What is the fruit of biblical worship? It's a counselor of men. Look with me at the back half of verse 7. 
and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. In this verse, we see again that word instruction. The priests of Malachi's day were called to be men who others sought for direction and guidance. In addition, they were called to be messengers, ones who would proclaim the good news, the word of God. As for us, the task still remains true today. Whether it's depression, anxiety, fear, whatever vice grips you, or your brothers and sisters in Christ within this fallen world, there are many struggles that we all wrestle with. When it comes to the fruit of biblical worship, would we commit, would we purpose in our hearts to be counselors of men? For the women, counselors of women, as a learner of God, we'll be more equipped to speak God's word to ourselves and to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as counselors of men. And considering this responsibility, would we be doers of God's word, not just hearers? Listening and applying great passages of scripture such as Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 as we seek to fulfill our role as a royal priest of Christ being a counselor of men. Galatians 6 1 reads, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That applies to each and every one of us. You, brother and sisters, who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness by the grace of God. Equip yourself as a learner to be prepared to be that counselor. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.14, a wonderful passage which is often examined when it comes to biblical counseling. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. That is a charge, an application for us. So, as we close, in review of these five answers to the question, what is the fruit of biblical worship as royal priests for Christ? Would we strive with all of our hearts to manifest these roles? A respecter of God? More than our 21st century governors? A teacher of men? An ambassador of God?
a learner of God and a counselor of men. As we approach the Lord's table here today, let us prayerfully consider the great privilege. It's not just an obstacle for us. It is a privilege to represent the king. He chose you to be that representative. Would we pursue that with all of our strength? Once again, motivated, undergirded, it, with under it all, with love. The love that he demonstrated to us and yet why we were still sinners and the love that we respond back to him in worship in our lives. Bow with me in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day that you have given us, Lord. This book has been difficult for all of us as we consider the consequences of disobedience. But Lord, we look to you, our perfect high priest. Lord, we thank you that we are no longer under the law or condemnation. But Lord, we desire to carry the banner of Christ before all men. Help us, Lord, in our frailties, in our inadequacies, to be a representative of the King. In the precious and mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray.